0: A number of years ago, I I taught on a a really, really cool story. The story of Nehemiah. And as this uh, catch-up Sunday was coming upon us, I realized uh, this is actually something for us to learn. To learn how God used the vision and burden and passion of a man who lived in a totally different place to speak to the heartbeat of his homeland. So today, I want to read to you a prayer and then get into the story of Nehemiah he writes Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 4 to 11 when i heard this this i sat down and wept in fact for days i mourned fasted and prayed to the god of heaven then i said O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down. See me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, laws, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you sin, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. We are your servants, the people you rescued by your great power and might. O oh Lord, please, Hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success now as I go ask the king for a great favor. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was a cupbearer to the king. Today, we're going to look at a man who activated and experienced the power of prayer activated and experienced the power of prayer. This is a profound story. And we're going to kind of walk through the prayer a little later, but I want to walk you through the story. Because in some places, and typically in churchianity, prayer becomes a cliche. Something happens to you, oh, I'll pray for you. Isn't that nice? I'll pray for you. Or even worse, we're going to get on the prayer chain and start, well, so-and-so did this, and we should pray about it. You know, it turns into a gossip thing. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about connecting with the living God who lives in you. He hears you, and he's always speaking to you. Do we always hear him? Nehemiah was a man who did much more than just babble a few words. He prayed and responded. That's the key. He prayed and responded. Whoops. So let's dig into the story. First of all, he prayed. Why did he pray? Because he heard that his city, Jerusalem, was in ruins. The walls were down, the gates were gone. They were like open to the, every single tribe around them to be attacked and pilfered and everything. They were, they were just not in a good place. They had been scattered, hence his prayer. Lord, you promised if we obey you, you'll bring us back, even though we've been exiled and scattered. So his prayer was really, really important. This is going to be awkward, because now I've got to read. Don't laugh said, don't laugh. (laughs) Too late. All right. So here we go. He prayed because this was happening. So he hears this, and he decides to go before the king. This is a big deal. He was a cupbearer to the king. And he says this. So the king asked me, why are you sad? You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. Then I was badly frightened. Why would he be frightened? I'll tell you why he was frightened. You are not allowed to be before the king and be sad. Do you think attitude matters? Yeah, it does matter. And in the presence of the king, there was no room for sadness and grumpy people because he knew something about that, that it's contagious. It affects the room, the doom and gloom. (laughs) There's a whole sermon right there. Wow, that will leave that alone. But that's why he was scared, because you can be killed just for having that attitude. And he was so close to the king, the king actually noticed it. It was so obvious that his burden was so weighing heavy on him. And then he proceeds to ask. He asks for support. He does this. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? Because what he did, he asked for permission to go and help out his homeland. Because he explained the story of why they were in ruins. The king and queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? So the king agreed, and I set a date for my departure. So first of all, he got his request. I, I also said to the king, If it please your majesty, please give me the gov- letters to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. Judea, Judah. And please send letters to Ashva, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house, a house for myself. And the king granted these requests, because the gracious hand of God was upon me. He asked, first of all, to leave. Remember, cupbearer is a big job. It's a prestigious role. <laughs> big deal, very big deal. He asked for timber. You can imagine how hard it would be to take timber through. Like, this is, this is not going to be a small little convoy. This is, this is going to be pretty huge. He also left and was escorted with an army. The king also granted him. I think it says in, is it one sentence? I hope it's one sentence. Oh yeah, the king, I should add had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Obviously, this guy was respected and liked by the king. Something was going on there, which says something about how we should live in our world today and how we should not put our religious um, uh, rights out in front of us. Oh, I have the right to this, the right to that, blah, 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 blah. And You become one of these religious fanatics, but instead be the grace of God wherever you are in your work, where you live, in your neighborhood. Does the love of Christ ooze out? Do they recognize this? Is there mutual respect? Just like Jesus. It said in Luke, Luke, uh, oh, now I forget. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and men. Luke, thank you. I knew his close. to Luke 2.52. He understood the importance of relationship. God taught him, his Father, his Heavenly Father, taught him the importance of relationships and the key to keep them going. So, then what happens? He arrives at Jerusalem, but he didn't tell anybody. So, here in chapter 2, three days after my arrival, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Wow. <laughs> He, he comes with this huge caravan, army officers, horsemen to protect him with timber. Is he going to sneak in? No. He stayed outside the city. And then he did his walks at night to inspect all the way around, assessing what are the needs? What's the problem with this city? What has to be repaired? He'd only heard stories. So now he gets to check it out for the first time. Even though he brought stuff along... He checked it out for the first time and didn't say a single word to anybody. Then what does he do? Oh yeah, he did it at night. After three days, he then comes to the people and announces his plan to the religious leaders of that place. Here's what he says. This is pretty cool. The city official did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the religious and political leaders, the officials or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know full well the tragedy of our city. It lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, good, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Huh. When good stuff happens, what's the next thing that happens? Pardon? Bad stuff. Bad stuff. You get, yeah, yeah, opposition happens every time. There's always a naysayer. There's always a grumpy. There's always somebody who sees it pessimistically. The cup is half full. Did you guys ever know the cup is completely full? Always? Of something. The other half's air. Chill. It's full. (laughs) Optimism. As they began to do this, and he was opposed by some key leaders in the city, unbeknownst to people who wouldn't know the story, these key leaders had made an alliance with the surrounding little tribes to make sure the walls would never be rebuilt. There was a scheme going on the whole time. And if you don't know that, you're not going to figure out what's going on here. It's pretty scary. The opposition came. What verse is that? Um, In 2 verse 19... Here it is. But then Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, and they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing rebelling against the king like this? So they tried to turn into treason, tried to turn into this rebellion against the king, which all you got to do is scream wolf, and you can get in trouble right away. That did not stop him. And as they began building, guess what they did? after being mocked and faced this really serious opposition, they worked. Oh, nope, go back. As they were working, the, the whole city was being built, not with one section at a time and finding the way around, but if you read through... Rod, are you here? Can you turn the air on, please? I forgot again. As they were going through the city, every family and group picked a section of the city, whether it's a gate or a part of the wall or what. They all started building so it... It kind of happened all at once. It's like, do you ever see that really fast um, time-lapse picture of the CN Tower being built? It's like, boom. Yeah, that's how they did it. All the way around, it's kind of, the whole thing built up together. It was an unbelievable work. But in the opposition, they tried to call Nehemiah, tried to pull him out to a meeting. They have a message from the king. And Nehemiah, will you come? We have a message for you. And he sent a servant instead. He wouldn't go. Well, they tried to kill him. This was an assassination attempt after attempt after attempt, and they realized how big the threat was, and so this happened. They ended up working with one hand on the plow or the hammer and the other hand on the sword. This was unbelievably, I'd say, stressful. (laughs) Yep. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. Chapter 4. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? The mocking continued. It was brutal. It was intense. And then... When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans, because the plans to assassinate him and and rupture all the plans, um, when they heard, knew of the plans, that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Not post office mail, metal mail. The officers stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. The common laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load, the other one ready, holding on to a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Do you think there was a real threat here? I tend to not work well under that pressure. You know, I really don't want that. But there was a vision given to a man. He says, we're going to do this. God gave us this vision. He supported it by proof of the support of the king. And I've, had, I've been blessed this entire time. And up they went. And they built and they built and they built. Local injustices were challenged. There was a problem in the camp. Yes, he came as a leader from another place. Comes back to Jerusalem. Finds out that the governors and leaders of, of Jerusalem had slipped into not being very good leaders. And here's the complaint that happened. When I heard their complaints, the complaints from the people, I was very angry. After thinking about the situation, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are oppressing your own relatives by charging them interest when they borrow money. When I called a public meeting, uh, then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Later, he said, you must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. Repay the interest you charged on their money, grain, wine, and olive oil. Then they replied, Not a chance, buddy! No, they didn't. They said, We will give back everything and, de- and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials formally vow to do what they had promised. Wow. Not only was help coming, No, not only was support of timber and an army and protectors coming to rebuild the walls, not only did a vision come to build the city back up to where it should be, along with it comes justice. I'm not talking Roman justice. Roman justice implies payback. Somebody does something wrong, they have to pay back. Otherwise, talked about as restitution, which is important, but that's that's not the biblical term of justice. Justice is called put back. That's a better term instead of payback. Put back is a cheeky phrase because Nehemiah wanted to see justice put back into the lives. He saw how people were being unfair and using this um, oppression as a way to get gain, not thinking of others, but thinking of themselves only. Welcome to our culture. We're already there. People really do only think of themselves, by and large, in our great country. And yet, we see many charities and people reaching out for hope to others in need. There's something for all of us to learn here. To think of our neighbors, our own families, instead of just our own stuff. Well, as long as I got my job, as long as I got my car paid for, as long as I, 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 I. Wow. That is not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus' eyes look at all of us and finds ways to love each other in a very real way. Looking into the hearts of people, seeing people for who they are, creations in Christ, created by God. Can you see everybody else like that, that they have been created by God, they are children of God? Not all of them believe, but they're still as kids? Hmm. It might change our eyes, and might change our lens. Next. Next. Local life, yeah, we just covered that. The walls were then completed in, get this, 52 days. Remember, they went half stock. They put half the guys off the workforce and became soldiers. The other half worked. 52 days. It was incredible. That's chapter 6, verse 15. Here we go. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out I had finished rebuilding the wall, and that no gaps remained, (gasps) though we had not yet hung the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Arno. I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending a message to them, I am doing great work. I cannot stop and come meet with you four times. They sent the same message, kept going, kept going. So on to- October 2nd, the wall was finally finished just 52 days after he had hung, they had begun. When our enemies and surrounding nations heard it, listen to this. They were frightened and humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the officials of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Era, and because of his son, Jen, was married to the daughter of Methilunah, son of Berkiah. They kept telling me what a wonderful man Tobiah was, but when they told him everything I said, and Tobiah sent me many threatening letters to intimidate me. Wow, that's not the end of the story. Once the wall was built, it was time to get together. It was time to regroup. Time to regroup as a people that had a city again. This was a big deal. And what would you do if you you finished? First thing most people do: throw a party. They didn't. Not yet. They will. It's coming. But here's what they did. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you saw this coming. All of the people assembled together as one person, one body, at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. It was time to read. They're going to read Scripture. Not just read it, because I've I've been to some services where they they read Scripture out loud. In fact, there's some 40-day services where they have the whole Bible read through in 40 days because it's kind of cool to do. Probably is kind of cool. But what they did, they did it right. Listen to this. See if you can tell the difference between just reading it and what I'm about to read you. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet that's pretty cool, and nobody's standing right now, (laughs) fine, don't, it's okay, then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, amen, amen, as they lifted their hands towards heaven, these are Jews, (laughs) lifted their hands towards heaven, they bow down and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, pause for a minute. Who do you see doing that today? Muslims? And we think it's weird. Uh-uh. Folks, it's reverence for God, the God they believe in. There's nothing wrong with that posture. In fact, if it helps your body and soul prepare and become... And complete awareness of the presence of God, so be it. Not everybody likes doing that, but don't mock them for it. Don't think, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's a dumb ritual. They do it three times a day. Oh, that's what our heritage of Jews did all the time. Remember Daniel? He prayed constantly out the window three times a day. I wonder where they got that from. Just think about it. So, here's what happens. They read from the book of the law and clearly, here it is, explained the meaning of what was being read. Helping the people understand each passage. It's not just about reading the word. Well, we read the word of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? The word will not come back void. Uh, Yeah, it will if nobody gets it. Because when they get it, then the word of the Lord penetrates the heart. Okay, just reading and babbling it. You know, some people put scripture on at night and and put themselves to sleep with it. Which, what does that do to you Sunday mornings? But anyway, they think that I'm getting the word of God in me. Well, there's a truth to that, but it's better, it's deeper. And here what happens is they, the word of the Lord was explained to them so they could all understand. That's my joy here at Hope Fellowship is trying to make it come alive so you can understand what it means so you can apply whatever truth the Holy Spirit shows you to your life and live out the life of Christ in you. That's what all this is for. That's why we do. That's why we get together so we have a chance to learn and grow together. Yeah. Right on cue. Love it. (laughs) Listen to this. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them. Listen to this response. So obviously, as they're reading the law, something was going on. And here's what they said to the people. Tells you what's going on. Don't weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. All the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why do you think they were weeping? Because revelation was being given to them that they weren't upholding the law. Now we, that's an old covenant law, but still we have the law of the life of Christ in us. And when we're not living out in abiding in obedience to Jesus Christ, and we recognize it, it should make us weep. And go, what Jesus, you've wanted me to act like this, and I haven't. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And He's saying, "That's fine. Stop weeping. Focus on the celebration instead." Some churches will let you keep on weeping because they can manipulate that. Okay, now oh, you feel terrible. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to keep beating you because you have more law, more rules here. And you see you're messed up in this area too. And I don't know why people go to some places. Just go there to get beat up. It's like, really? I'm paying you to beat me up. Let me think about that. This is not a boxing ring. Today, I only want to give you grace so you are built up, never condemned, Anybody that speaks a condemning voice is not speaking the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let no liar speak condemnation to you because it is the voice of Satan, the deceiver, who speaks those lies. If you start believing them, guess what happens? You'll start to act like it. You'll start to have self-pity, feel terrible about yourself, and not even like yourself anymore because you forget that God loves you. And that's why they said, stop weeping. Your God's for you. Obviously, there's evidence right here. Celebrate the graciousness of the Lord. And that's what they did. Here's what it says. This is really cool. Um, And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of choice foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh my goodness, there it is. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Some people who are really beat up and down and out, and moping out and really depressed, may need to, by choice, begin to praise the Lord, even though it may not seem natural. But if your spirit says rejoice, you obey the spirit, even though your soul, your mind is not thinking, I don't feel like this, i fine. Praise the Lord. <laughs> fine, praise the Lord. Can, can you imagine that? It's funny, but it's true. You know, you may even come into church some Sunday mornings and you're mad because the ref is terrible. Yeah, unfair. <laughs> not that I'm speaking of anybody particular this morning. But inside, the real you wants to Rejoice. And that joy that is within you wants out through the crust of whatever it is that's preventing you. You get to choose to respond. What is your choice? Sometimes it feels good just to, well, you know, it's easier to share my problems with everybody because I get a lot more attention that way. It's not about you. This is about Jesus in you. Let him out. He lives in you, and he wants out. It's good news. And he's telling them, eat, drink, be merry. I love it. Okay. Heckler in the crowd. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. Do you understand the word of God? Do you understand your identity? Do you know who you are? Because when that revelation hits you, you will rejoice. You will say, thank you. There will be a natural expression that happens. We have a lot to learn from this story of Nehemiah. What can we learn? What can we learn from his prayer? Oh, Lord. Here's what he does. First thing he does. He prays because he has a burden. God allowed him to be burdened with a concern, a love for something. Can't get it out of my mind. Just, I, for some reason, will not leave. He's giving you and I a burden too. My prayer today is that whole fellowship is a burden to you, a passion for you, that you'll see this is your family. We have walls to rebuild. There's good news here. Will you join and participate in the building of not a church, but Christ's body that has an incredible message for Kitchen Waterloo and Canada and around the world? You don't realize how far this goes. You don't realize how many times I get emails from around the world just because they watch the YouTube videos. Like, where? Bizarre. In fact, I had one person call me and say, yeah, somebody sent me this video thinking that uh, you're teaching something wrong, but man, I'm excited about this. This is good. <laughs> this is another pastor. who's cool. Very exciting. <laughs> do you have a passion for your church family or is it just the thing you do? People, that is a broken down walled city or wall, a city with walls that are crumbling. You don't know how good you got it here you don't. And if you do, the joy of the Lord would be your strength, I think. I think to learn, to draw from the resources in you, you'll become excited. So this is a family. We don't got a perfect. We definitely don't have a perfect. There are still lonely people sitting here. We're in a place to practice loving each other. We're not going to always get it right. That's where we need a lot of forgiveness to one another. (laughs) That's how it works. What drives you? Do you pray for this church? Or is it, yeah, I would just pray for you. Or do you really pray, Lord, rebuild the walls? Whatever that looks like. This is just an image from the story, obviously. But it's it's a real deal. When he heard it, he sat down and wept. In fact, for days he mourned and fasted. Does it bother you? Really? What's your response? Now, Keep in mind, there is another response. I'm not saying, oh, we should all go and fall in our closets and be all weird and weepy. No, I have complete confidence in my Lord and God, and he will draw me to quiet times of prayer that are very passionate and away from everything else. But my heartbeat from where I do the weeping and mourning comes from a place of confidence in Christ. We're emotional beings. We're designed, created to feel and allow the expressions of many emotions. He wants to come out through all those emotions in an expression of love and grace. Next, Nehemiah then worshipped. He told God how wonderful he was. He buttered him up. Well, I'll take a look. Then I said, Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey. This is actually worship. He meant it from the heart. He said, Oh, Lord you are awesome. I can't get enough of you. And allowed the emotion and truth of that to flow through his words to his heavenly father. Worship is a big part of prayer. What we do here, the music part of worship is just one kind of worship. What you're doing right now in listening is an act of worship and response and receiving. When you give, it's an act of worship. Our offering was an act of worship. It's not just a time of giving. It's worshiping through giving. When we serve, and Maggie's in the kitchen, Saint Maggie, you know, she is, she is serving and worshiping you, I'm sorry, God, through by serving you. Yeah, worship you, right. You caught, you know the point. She, yeah, we're not worthy. Our service is an act of worship. We're gonna have a chat with the worship team leaders today. We're having a meeting right after church. And uh, we're going to talk about some of this. Not in great detail. We don't have time today. But that is part of the goal. Do we see how important worship is? Do we even know how to worship as a church? Really? It's interesting. Next, prayer. Gandhi says, prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. It is a daily admission of one's weakness. It is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Prayer is the key of the morning and the bolt of the evening. That's Gandhi who said that. Seriously, you're just squatted a non-Christian. <laughs> truth is truth. The source is Jesus. Next, he humbled himself right away and sought forgiveness. I find this very interesting because normally we we'll say, "Lord, they have screwed up. They are in desolation. They let the walls go and ruin. They, they, they." And they. we separate ourselves and come as the saviors to crises. When instead, he did the exact opposite. It's we as a people. He included himself in the issue to express the need for forgiveness. The need for humility came with humility, not pride. I've got something. I am going to be your helper and and get all the attention. That's not at all what he was doing. This was a God-inspired vision. Anytime it's self-seeking, it's not a God thing. Now, be careful. There are some good visions and ideas given to people from God and based on our personalities and based on life circumstances, sometimes we can slip into a self-centered moment, but then the Holy Spirit gently corrects us and we come back and surrender that self-seeking attitude and back into the vision that God gave us. Allow people to go through that too. Don't judge. Give them room. Next. When we humble ourselves, it does this. It clears our vision to see what the issue really is. Sometimes we get so busy where we don't have time to see. Father, what what is it you're trying to show us? Where do you want us to go as a church? How do you want us to reach out? How do we love each other better? Like, there's a lot to do. Next, it quiets our hearts and allows us to hear God. We're too busy sometimes. Too many background noises to hear what the Spirit of Christ, who is in us, is speaking to us. Next, it activates our faith when we know his forgiveness. You don't have to beg for it, but when you recognize you are forgiven and repent, do a 180, and recognize, wow, the freedom activates our faith to trust Jesus, and it's his faith in us. We don't even muster it up. He was bold. He went before the king, dared to look sad. Maybe, I don't know if he meant it or not, but either way he did. And then with boldness he asked, this is something I need to learn. I'm too scared because I'm afraid of what people will think. That's why this whole money talk was hard, you know? But bold, speak it. Don't be afraid. That's the message to me today. I have to however however that looks in me, I know there are things we need to learn and grow and do as a church family. But I've been afraid to give direction, say, let's go. Gordon Martin from Vision Ministries has been a real big help on that. And I'm thankful for the leadership team here. We have a great future ahead of us. That's why we've done this vision work. For those that are embracing it, thank you. Give us a chance to practice laying out vision and putting it into place. Even if some parts screw up, so what? It's not our church, it's his. Let's grow and learn together. Next. Click for me. Because it's not working. Oh, my battery's dead, that's why. Can you click? Thank you. Next. Next one. There we go. He was willing to actually do something about it. This is big. We can pray about it, we can feel there's a need, but to actually do something about it. He not only was willing to leave his prestigious job of cupbearer, well-paid, well-respected, to leave and go become a leader and rebuild. You can pray about it, but are you willing to actually sacrifice yourself too? So will I participate in my prayer? If God's given me the burden, am I willing to be a partaker in seeing a resolution to this? Great question, and only the Holy Spirit can give you that answer. I can't. It's wild. What burdens have been put on your heart? Has God connected you to something he is already doing? How will you respond? That's my question for Hope Fellowship. What is your response going to be in this next year? As we start to lay out a proper foundation for Hope Fellowship. We've we've since we since I arrived 12 years ago, We've been reacting to growth and stuff just happening here. Oh, yeah, you want to do this? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and all these things just kind of happened and some crashed and burned and whatever. We've just been reacting to the growth and, and love of people. And now it's time to pull back some of those things and say, okay, let's create a structure that will actually help us build further. That's why we've had to pull back on some things and why we're changing uh, structures and leadership and roles. Because it's time. If we, want to, if we want to grow at all anymore, we have to put these things in place so we can become a functioning family with great care in place. And I think your participation has already been shown. Thank you for those that have helped. Thank you to those who have served. Thank you for those who have served and felt unappreciated. I'm not good at showing appreciation all the time. I just, I go mock 90 and I sometimes forget the work of leaders and people and we need those that have that gift to see those things, to go and be the encouragers of those leaders. We need to become a family that encourages and builds each other, build each other up. What burden has God given you? What passion has he given you? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, please.